Well, good morning. Ooh, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you in church this morning, and you're uh, very welcome. And uh, yeah, just looking out, you're looking nice and summery, and uh, it's a beautiful day. Uh, we have uh, visitors from Washington, D.C., and we have visitors from Texas, and the Texas folks think that it's cool. Yeah, apparently with them it would be 35 and the humidity would be high. Okay, so, and it's a special welcome, of course, to have Katie back. Okay, do, did you spy her here? So there you go, Kitty. Now, Kitty is just back for the one week, uh, but just to say that her visa application was successful and that she will be able to work with us from September on for one more year. Well done, Kitty, that's great. Um, lovely to have Peter back as well. Uh, Peter's been on a gap year. Um, so Peter's our oldest son for those who are visiting. It's good to have you back as well, Peter. And I, I'll not embarrass anybody else, but there we go. <laughs> Folks, it is good to have you, and we are here on this beautiful uh, summer's day to worship God. Oh, Annie. Yes, no, I'm going to talk about Annie later, maybe, but there we go. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Annie. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, folks, I am, well, it is lovely to have you back, Annie. Um, and uh, for those who don't know, Annie has been sick and in hospital since last year, since December 2018. And that's a very long time. And I'm very conscious that our topic today is on suffering and uh, all the things that we need to learn about suffering. Um, and it's, it's a difficult topic, and I hope, I know we're only just going to really begin thinking about it. And I have got Rebecca and I've got Annie very much in my mind as I speak about these things. So uh, you're both very welcome, and it's good to have you in the service this morning. I think what I, I suppose, want to get across is that even though we suffer, uh, what is important is our relationship with God. And so the psalmist says in Psalm 16, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Now, that, that is incredible, isn't it, really, if you actually just stop to think about that. You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. Everything else in comparison is worthless. It's not that they are worthless, but everything in comparison to knowing God, having a relationship with Him, having the security that we know that whatever happens to us in this life, we will be with Him now and forever in eternity and in perfection. It is just awesome. You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. And in light of that, that's why we sing, Father, I adore you, and I can sing of your love forever. And the, the folks will lead us in that now.
Our Bible reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, John chapter 5. You'll find that on page 1068 of the Bibles under your seat. John chapter 5, reading from verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 30 tells us, Sing praises to the Lord, O you faithful ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Let's pray. Father, whether we come from a night of weeping or with the joy of a new morning filling our heart, may our hearts praise you. Whether we come dismayed by your seeming absence or we feel the favor of your constant presence, May our hearts praise you. Whether we come mourning in sackcloth or dancing with joy, may our hearts praise you. In Psalm 30, the psalmist goes on to say, O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. 
So, Father, for the gifts you've given to those who bring healing to the sick among us, we give thanks. For the bravery of the prophetic voice that speaks truth to power, we give thanks. For the patience of those who work to bring peace among us, we give thanks. For the gentleness of your Spirit as he ministers to us and assures us of the security of what it means to be yours, we give thanks. For the sacrifice of your Son who gave himself for us and will one day restore all things, we give thanks to you forever, O Lord our God. Father, as we think about the amazing love and grace that you've shown to us, we are so aware of how we have failed to follow you. For the times when we have not restored our sister or brother with gentleness, but rather reached for judgment, forgive us, Lord, we pray. For the times when we have not shared each other's burdens or have kept our worries to ourselves, relying on our own strength rather than reaching out for the support of those around us. Forgive us, Lord, we pray. For the times when we've not lived with your new creation in mind, but have succumbed to old ways of legalism and judgment, not living out of the freedom won for us in Christ Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, we pray. Father, for your steadfast love, that never ceases, but gently restores us. And for your unending mercy that is new every morning, we give you thanks. Great is your faithfulness. And so, Lord, we pray in the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, David. Well, folks, we're going to sing again, um, Create in me a clean heart, I think in response to the prayer. And Katie's going to lead us in actions.
Well, I think at this point, maybe it might be a good idea for the younger children, aged three to eight, if they want to go out. Um, they're going to go upstairs to the second floor. Um, and, uh, yeah, Adderval and Cynthia are going to be looking after you, I see. Um, so if you want to do that now, and then we'll, um, uh, we'll start uh, looking at this. If you have your Bibles, do open them there, and uh, we'll have a quick look at this together. So I'm going to sit on this stool again. <clears throat> you know that this is my summer position, and that I'm uh, so that we can have this kind of conversation with one another, and uh, we're uh, going to have a look at. Um, a conversation uh, again, and this time it's a conversation with the paralyzed man at the pool. And for the boys and girls, you can have a look at the picture and kind of uh, look at it as, we, uh, as I talk to you. But I am very conscious, folks, as I speak to you of the presence of people who have suffered in our congregation. And I know that it's not, um, I, this is not, when you talk about suffering, it often is a philosophical kind of uh, discussion. Uh, but our conversation this morning is, is not that. It's not an intellectual exercise. It is uh, a personal relationship that we're going to be looking at. And as a church family, we have been very conscious of the serious and painful reality of sickness in our, some of our members' lives. We are also aware of the sadness and the grief and the hurt of death. And we do know the pain of broken relationships and often the sheer difficulty for people and the frailty of aging. And so speaking about suffering uh, has to be handled with sensitivity and compassion. And I'm also conscious of having prepared for this today, that it raises lots of questions. And I, I do want you to keep that in your mind. Uh, we're going to try and raise these questions and begin answers. Um, and I want you to kind of think about those and see if they make sense. And if they don't, have a chat with each other. Um, if you want to hear more, uh, you can uh, think more about that. Um, and I've actually read a book recently um, by a guy called D.A. Carson or Don Carson. It's called How Long, O Lord, and I recommend it to you. I find it uh, readable, um, compassionate, and obviously in much more depth than anything that we will do today. Um, as I'm going on holidays, uh, if somebody wants to borrow it for a month, they can have it, um, as long as they bring it back to me. And uh, if you don't, you can order it online or something like that. It really is good. Reflections on Suffering and Evil uh, by D.A. Carson, How Long, O Lord. So let's pray that God would help us to do that today. Father, we are conscious that, uh, Lord, we are human beings and that every single one of us in some way suffer. And that, Father, we know that suffering is real and that it is painful and that it separates us often from those that we love and that it's not an easy topic to talk about. So I just pray that you will be with us as we think about it. And I pray that you will help us to engage with it sensitively and that we will learn from your word and that we will support each other in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Okay. So, in our cast today, in our story, we have uh, obviously this uh, invalid man. He's much older than he, uh, you know, he looks older than he really is because sickness takes its toll upon him. Um, he is contorted. He doesn't have healthy arms and legs like we have because when you don't use them, your muscles contract uh, or they wither and your ligaments tighten and you really become uh, sort of contorted, I suppose, is the word that we might use. And uh, we have Jesus in the picture as well. He is dressed commonly, and he's known to be a miracle worker. That reputation of his is around. And we also have the religious leaders. They're the ones who are well-dressed, they're pompous, but they're unhappy in that. And we're in the city of Jerusalem. I think I have a, um, this is a re, a sort of what the, what it might have looked like in the day. We're within the city walls of Jerusalem. Uh, we're in a covered colonnade near the Sheep Gate. And it's a place where lots and lots of sick people congregate. If you look at verse 3, you'll see that it says that, that many people with different illnesses gathered there. So it's a sad place, um, and probably it didn't get many visitors. It's not the kind of place that you would normally go on your sightseeing tour of Jerusalem, but Jesus is there. So as I said, I want to talk to you about, I just want to raise questions so that you will think about this whole question of uh, suffering. And the first question I want to deal with is, where did evil come from? So as I said, our, our story is, uh, is a real life story, um, but we need to maybe take a step back and think about where did this all start? And, and most people agree, by the way, that evil had a beginning, and that there was a time that it didn't exist, and then something brought it into being. Now, that means two things. Sorry, Miguel, what do you want to ask? Right, okay, well, you listen up and you can tell me if you agree with me, okay? Very good. So, firstly, if evil had a beginning, then it wasn't there at the start, that separates evil from God. Because God was present before evil in the sense that he always existed. And secondly, though the Bible doesn't actually tell us how evil originated, that is sealed in the mind of God, it does give us a story, doesn't it, in the first, uh, first chapters of the Bible about a serpent in the garden, the Garden of Eden, as a picture of evil. So that tells us then that somehow evil came into this world and that there's an evil presence in this world. And we see that, don't we, in natural disasters? I think is uh, in America today, you've got a hurricane or some kind of tropical storm and flooding. Um, we have earthquakes and storms. You have disease, of course, we have infections and cancer's big in Ireland at the moment in the thinking about how we treat cancer, genetic illnesses that come upon us unexpectedly. And we have the sheer sinfulness, I suppose, our humanity itself. We have greed, don't we? 
I, I was flicking yesterday. That's a bad thing to do on your television. Watching the tennis and I flicked on and there was this program about some mega rich person. And he was younger than, you know, he was about 25. And he was from, I think, Azerbaijan. And he had a, a house, I think it was called the Super Rich or something. And I watched five minutes of it and I could watch no more. He had a house with about 10 cars in it that were worth about a million each. And you know what he said? He said, I don't even come here. I never use the kitchen. I never use this bathroom. I'm never here. And his walk-in wardrobe was about the size of this church. Greed, injustice, murder, selfishness. You see, there is a presence of evil might not know exactly where it came from, and I, I know what Miguel is thinking, that it came from Satan ultimately, yes, in one way, but where did that come? Where did that idea come from? And I'm not going there, by the way. But it's a far cry from God originally declaring that everything in the created world was very good. So in summary, we know that evil had an origin, but where it came from, we're not entirely sure. We know it has a presence in the world, and that its presence brings suffering. So, our hope is, of course, that in our story, that Jesus can offer a solution to this problem of evil. Because this story involves a person who demonstrates one of the effects, at least, of evil can have upon us, sickness um, and invalidity. And we come to see how Jesus came to deal with that evil. And interestingly, in a wider scale, we're going to see that when we read our Bibles, that Jesus deals with evil by suffering on the cross, by his death and resurrection. And there's an amazing verse. If you look it up there in verse 24 of this, one of my favorite verses uh, that I was reminded of again. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He is crossed over from death to life. An amazing verse, isn't it? And that is the truth of where we're heading. So Jesus has dealt with evil by suffering. And not only that, he's promised that he's coming back again. And he's going to deal with evil finally and remove it completely from the new creation and the world. And so therefore, even though evil's beginnings are hazy, its effects are well seen, but its end is certain in Jesus Christ. And that's how we might try to answer that first question, where did evil come from? My second question is where does a person go for help when suffering. In our conversation this morning uh, between Jesus and the man who is suffering terribly, um, there's a number of people at this place, isn't it? They have a variety of disabilities. Um, the number of them, I thought, was very striking. It's a kind of open-air hospital, but without any doctors. Um, and it's sadly a collection, I think, really, of the brokenness of humanity. I think that's the picture the Bible is giving us. If we had a drone, we'd be able to go in over the top. We'd be able to see this huge sort of mass of suffering and all the different illnesses and ailments that people have. But we're not going to do that. We're going to focus in on this one person. 
We're going to focus in on this invalid man. And here's a man who has not taken a step. He has not taken a step in 38 years. Wow. His body is broken. And Jesus comes to him and he asks the most strange question. Isn't it strange? Do you want to be healed? What? Of course I want to be healed. Who are you? What, what are you talking about? In fact, many of us would think that that's hurtful. It'd be like saying to an unemployed person, would you like a well-paid job? You would never do it. Never do it. So the question you need to ask yourself when you hear Jesus doing that is, why is he doing that? Why is he asking such a question? A question that could be hurtful? A question that could be perceived wrongly? Do you want to be healed? So let's listen to what the man says. You see it in verse 7 if you want to follow along. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And what are we to make of that? The stirring of the water. Now, if you've got your... Miguel, can you... If you look at the bottom of your Bible there, or Matthias, one of you, at the very bottom there's a little footnote, and it tells you something about that. Can you read that out to us? Have you got it? Maybe it's hard to find. Is it there? Yes, it's that little bit at the bottom. Okay, and the next wee bit, the next one? Yeah, you read it then. Right. So what was believed in this place was that every now and again this pool would stir. It would bubble. And it was believed that an angel of the Lord came down, and when the first person in was cured. So we're given an explanation for the stirring of the water, and, and it gives us a hint, doesn't it, of what was going on. Regardless of whether we think it was what actually happened or not, that's not the point. The point is this pool by the sheep gate that is occasionally stirred was thought to be a place of healing that gave hope to those gathered. And evidently, this man believed that. That's why he's there, the hope of cure. And also in his answer, he's expressing some bitterness, isn't he? He's saying, I'm alone. No one helps me. It's hopeless. Others always get ahead of me. And ultimately, he might be saying, where is God in all of this? So if you pause it there in this conversation between the man and Jesus. Jesus has asked him a question that might appear hurtful, and Jesus has been no help to him at this point at all. But when we read on in verses 8 and 9, Jesus surprises the man, doesn't he? Because he simply says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. What are we to do with this? It seems to stop our conversation about suffering. 
Jesus simply heals the man with a command, a word, and it's perfect, and it's wonderful. So we'll leave it there, and we'll come back to this after we've sung. So we're going to sing, um, and this is uh, another psalm that we're singing. And it is as the deer, because we're wanting to talk about a relationship with God. So this is our desire, to have a relationship with God, regardless of what's happening to us. So let's stand to sing. Well, folks, just before we begin again, let me just go through some of these announcements. It is lovely to have you in, in the church, and uh, just wish you God's blessing on this uh, summer uh, Sunday morning. Um, some of our friends from America are going to Port Rush tomorrow uh, and uh, to see the open and to be part of it. Um, I just, it's funny, I was just thinking there, I'd forgotten all about this. I played the Dunluce course once uh, when I was a student. I got through about three holes. It was blowing such a gale that both the person I was playing with and myself, our umbrellas blew inside out and we had to abandon them. And we'd lost so many golf balls by that time that we just abandoned it and actually didn't play it. Uh, and I had to play the valley course, which was a lot easier in that case as well. So I've been up there. It's going to be a fantastic event. And uh, you can watch it, hopefully, on television as well. So hope you have a great time in Portrush. And there's an even better place around the coast. And it's called Bally Castle. Um, and uh, you should make some chance to visit there as well. And if you call in at Strandview Road, there's a house there. You can get some tea at some stage as well. So you're very welcome. So Karen and I are on holidays now for the next four weeks. Um, and if you look at the back of your thing, you'll see that um, you have uh, Kevin and Eric and Theo and Ethan to come and preach. And again, we're going to try and keep the same format uh, so that uh, there's a family feel to the service during the summertime. If you require the pastoral care, uh, at that time, please, if you're a member of the church, then please contact your elder. Um, and uh, if you don't know who your elder is, Tommy uh, has that list. Um, and then the elders will talk to Stuart if they need a minister. Um, and uh, Stuart has that list of ministers who are looking after uh, the church in my absence. Uh, so uh, just to say, we're going to see David play hockey. Um, our son's playing for Ireland under 21s. We're quite proud of him in that. And uh, they play this afternoon against Belarus, um, and then we'll be out and see them play uh, the rest of uh, that tournament for the European Championships. Uh, so that's the start of our holidays, and then we're going to the Sun, and then we're coming to Dublin, and then we're going to Ballet Castle. So that is our holidays, and uh, we value your prayers um, as well. Just looking through these, um, prayer ministry at the front, uh, if you want to be prayed for, do come to this little table. Folks, we'll just pray for you confidentially. The next Living Well meeting, um, uh, uh, Heather's going to come and do prayers later on, but just to get it in your head, it's Saturday the 27th of July, and Heather will tell you more about that when she comes up later. Uh, volunteers uh, needed to clean the church while Marcus is away, our guardian, um, and just to, to say as well that the facade of the church is, is really being uh, renovated and you'll see that as you come in. I hear that they've, they've painted the brickwork now with a sealant, and that's uh, stage number two. So we'll see it uh, when I come back. It might be finished as well, so that would be good. And number five there, Ian uh, and Terry still need someone to look after their house. So if you fancy just a, week, a month's holiday in... Is it a month, Ian? 
yeah, a month's holiday in uh, church town. So maybe you live in the north side, you just fancy going over to the south side. Uh, maybe you live in Rathfarnham and you think, what are they like down in church town? Well, there you go. You can have free accommodation. And I hear all that you have to do is look after a dog. Are two dogs, Ian? One dog? Two dogs. Okay, so do think about it. That would be very helpful to Ian and Terry. Um, and yes, just uh, the children's church down at the bottom there, uh, really that is, uh, you can see what we're going to do uh, through to the um, end of the summer. So, thank you. So if you've got your Bibles again, we'll have a look at this next section. Um, What have we got? So, so this is just a different picture. I, I was looking through the internet for these pictures. Again, Jesus and the, the man, the pool. Um, but the question that I want to deal with now, remember we're just trying to ask questions here. Um, you know, why did Jesus not heal everyone at the pool? And actually that's a huge question, isn't it, really? Um, if Jesus can do this, if Jesus can, by a word of command, um, just heal a man who had never walked in 38 years, whose body is contorted, who if, even if we could cure him today, he would need huge physio, occupational therapy, etc., etc. But this man just gets his mat, walks around the town. And why, then we often say that in response to that, we say, well, why am I not healed? Why do I suffer? Is Jesus just arbitrary? Does he care about that person, but he doesn't care about me? It's not equal. It's not fair. We have all these questions, don't we, when we begin to think about these things. So what needs to be said about this is, firstly, that we don't know why Jesus chose this man and not the person beside him. So where can we go to make sense of this? And you're, you get the sense that a lot of these questions don't actually really have the answers that we would want. I don't know, has anybody seen the film Yesterday? You're not admitting to it anyway, but nobody's seen it, not a single person, apart from Karen at the back. That was our date night, yeah, there we go. So yeah, Yesterday is about a man, it's a, it's a, it's a good feel-good movie in the, of the summertime. It's about a man, and the whole world has forgotten about the Beatles. They don't remember the Beatles. And he's a musician, so he starts singing the Beatles songs and becomes a megastar. That's what it would be like for Jesus, wouldn't it? If Jesus Christ had come to this earth and healed every single person, and he had continued to do that, he would have been a megastar. And people would have flocked to him. But you see, the Bible is clear that that was not his primary mission. His primary mission was to do something even greater and to heal the spiritual sickness of the heart. To deal with the consequences of what heart rebellion against him was and of, why, of people disobeying his instructions and under the covenant promises of judgment. And the punishment that he took, of course, would result, you know, that, that punishment for us would result in eternity's suffering and such a reality and lack of relationship with him was his deepest concern. He wanted a relationship with everyone. He did. 
And he knew that the way to do that was not by healing people physically, not everybody, but he had to do something different. And what he achieved on the cross was more special and wonderful, and I say that wholeheartedly, more special and wonderful than an invalid walking after 38 years. He removed spiritual death from us. He gave us new life in the Spirit and eternal life. That's what verse 24 says. And actually, in reality, in eternity, we will all walk with perfection. And we will be with Jesus forever if we believe. Now, in saying that, I'm not minimizing suffering or pain. It's not supposed to do that. It's actually in the midst of that suffering, giving us hope. That's what it's meant to do. It's not to minimize the suffering, but it gives us hope in the suffering. That's a big question. And I think that's the answer or the beginning of the answer. So another question is then suffering and fault. And with this, we begin to draw to a close. If you follow the story, you'll see that the healing causes controversy and uh, causes a stir. The religious leaders, as we know, had a very strict definition of what uh, Sabbath rest was. And actually lifting up your, your bed, taking it around the city and running about with it was not considered to be rest. And they told him to stop. But you can't blame him, can you? He hasn't walked in 38 years. He's feeling perfectly fit and well, and he's running about with his bed. Moreover, more importantly, if you look in verses 11 to 13, you see that this man does not even know who cured him. He doesn't know his name. He knows nothing about him. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus simply disappears into the crowd, and their conversation is over. But it does appear, of course, that Jesus did want to finish the conversation, so he found him after all that initial excitement had died down a little in verse 14. The question again is another question, where would you go if you'd been healed so miraculously? Where did he find him? In the temple. That's significant, isn't it? Because the temple's where you go to meet with God. Did he go to thank God? Did he go to start a relationship with God? Did he go to ask more questions? And what will Jesus say to him? And look at verse 14. He says, see you are well again. And if what we've been saying is true, this should remind us of the first question. Do you want to get well in verse 6? Because we understood in verse 6 that he's talking about physical wellness But we begin to see that perhaps there's another side to that now in verse 14. Because then he goes and says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Therefore, linking the man's suffering to his spiritual wellness. And the same word is used each time, the word well. This requires careful thinking through. It could make sense to understand that the first question Jesus meant more than physical well-being, and he was also thinking of spiritual well-being, and we need to tease that out. So that's where I've come with suffering and fault. Because actually this question, I think, is the most troubling of all. And I personally know that 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 is a problem that people within this church have. 
And that's a problem that everybody has, I think. And it's the link between sin and sickness. You see, the implication is, when we read that is, that it could be a possibility that this man 38 years ago did something wrong, and he's under divine punishment. And the question is, can suffering be our fault? Now, that's a big question, and I'm going to simply say that the answer to that can be yes, it might be, but mostly it's not. In fact, it would be very wrong for anyone to suggest that it is the result of a specific sin. And how do we know that? Well, if you flick on to chapter 9 of John's Gospel, you'll see that Jesus is asked that very question, did this man sin or his parents? And Jesus said, no, it's not about the sin of the person. So is it possible that this man did suffer as a direct consequence of his sin? It is possible, but most likely it's usu and usually it's the result of just living in a fallen world and stuff just happens. And then we talk about suffering and fear because then Jesus goes on to say, doesn't he, something worse may happen to you. And we wonder, of course, don't we, more questions what could be worse than 38 years of suffering, invalidity, and suffering? And if we're, you know, you hear this all the time. If you have your health, you have everything. If you have your health, you are rich. And health in our society has become more important and is seen to be the thing that is the supreme good. And Jesus obviously thinks that there is something worse. And unsurprisingly, he tells us what that is in this chapter. But you have to go on in the chapter. If you look at verse 25, you'll see that he says, and again, we looked at this last week where he says, truly, truly, um, I say, or I tell you the truth, I think it is in the NIV. What's worse than suffering for 38 years, says Jesus? He says it's the judgment of God. Verse 27, verse 30, the Bible states clearly and often that God will raise the dead for judgment by Jesus. And this raises the stakes considerably, doesn't it, when Jesus asks his first question, do you want to get well? Because if he's speaking there not just of physical well-being but of spiritual well-being, he's asking them, do you want to have eternal life? Do you want your sins forgiven? Do you want to escape the judgment that is coming? And that means that we should never make the decision to follow Jesus about healing. We should never make the decision about Jesus about having a good and successful life. That is not what is promised. As some of the folks in our church will testify, they have lived good and upright and moral and Christian lives of service, and they have suffered. And it's not about personal sin. It's just about the reality of the world. And what they have discovered is it's about a relationship with Jesus. That is what matters. That is what sustains. That is what gives hope. 
in the midst of everything. So do we love Jesus more than health? Do we love Jesus more than our career? Do we love Jesus more than our family? Do we love Jesus more than, and you can fill in the blank. And I think one of the biggest problems, and that's why I've got this word fear here, is that I have been surprised at the level of fear in my life. And I confess that to you so that you might know that this has been helpful to me today. Because why are we fearful? I think we're fearful because we don't know Jesus well enough. And the answer comes in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. It's an amazing verse, isn't it? There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So we've just been talking about punishment, but the believer does not have this fear because Jesus has taken our punishment. And when we see that and we know that and we believe that, then fear is taken away. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So the person of Jesus is perfect love. And this is the wonderful grace of the gospel. Jesus punished for our sins on the cross. He bore the wrath of God, God's justice. And if we believe that and accept it true for us, then we have crossed over from death to eternal life in Jesus. And our fear of something worse is removed. Amazing and wonderful. So when Jesus says, do you want to get well? He's thinking beyond physical well-being to this eternal well-being of a relationship with him now and forever. And that's what sustains us whenever we suffer. Let's pray. In your minds and hearts, please pray this prayer with me. Our Heavenly Father, I confess my sin to you for holding out on you and not giving you my whole self in following your ways, or to leaning on the suffering of your Son as payment for my sin. Today I want to make a fresh start, to know deep down that you have not betrayed me nor forsaken me, you are good, gracious, and have always had my best, my eternal best interest in mind. Regardless of the pain you have put before me in this life, give me your spirit that I might have your strength. Give me a willingness to take up my cross daily and follow you. And give me a seat at your table on the final day when all evil and suffering must thankfully and finally be condemned by the coming of your Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, we worship God as we give our offering to him, and we're going to sing, or the choir will lead us in a a song, to see the keen of heaven fall. And it's about Gethsemane, and the words are about his suffering for us.
On the Living Well date, we stick with the 27th of July, but I just learnt this morning that's the weekend of the Bray Air Show. Now, that means that Sunday you can't get in or out of Bray, and apparently they've extended it a little bit into Saturday. So I'm suggesting that we bring our time forward and that we run from about 12. There should be no difficulty getting into our end of Bray. There, it might be a little bit uh, slower getting home, but we have plenty of time at that, at that stage, and you're welcome to sit in our garden and watch the planes going overhead, <laughs> if there are any, but there usually are. So, And also, if you have a folding chair or a cushion that you particularly like to bring, bring it with you, um, because we have a few, we've borrowed a few, um, but we might need some more. And a different... Uh, notice will be in the order of service next Sunday. So see me afterwards if there's a problem. Um, during the week, Sam sent me some info on uh, church in chains about persecution in both uh, China and Iran. There will be a conference in September uh, of Church in Chains, and the main speaker there, Pastor Bob Fu, will actually be speaking in Adelaide Road on the 15th of September. So I want to pray about some of these people whom I'll mention in the prayer, and hopefully we will hear um, answers to our prayers come September. Let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we have learned today about your great compassion shown through Jesus in healing a man who had suffered for 38 years. We do not understand why he and so many other men and women in the Gospels had to suffer for so long, but it chimes with the reality in our world where many suffer at different levels, believer and non-believer alike. We pray for those organizations like Christian Aid, Tear Fund and Concern, who relieve adults and children in famine, war and refugee situations. Help us to enable them by re regularly reviewing our giving and systematically praying for them. We pray especially this morning for Open Doors and Church in Chains, who specifically serve those intimidated, arrested, tortured, and murdered across the world because they are Christians. For the eight new converts arrested in Iran last week and held in solitary confinement without legal representation. For five more Iranians already serving sentences. For two pastors in China, John Cao and his appeal, which is his appeal hearing, which is set for the 22nd of August, and for Wang Yai, held for the last seven months on trumped up anti state charges. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer and end the suffering of these 15 people to the glory of your name. Suffering has many facets. We pray for those in our congregation and known to us who are in physical pain, mental anguish, at the mercy of depression or psychiatric disorder. Give them hope, patience and trust and enable their families and medical teams to provide the care and support 
which will make all the difference to their day-to-day -day living. We thank you for answer to prayer for both Rebecca and Annie. We pray for Martha's son, Paul, and his treatment. And we remember the older members of our congregation, like Mary Carson and Billy Gilmer, unable to worship with us. Lay your hand also upon John Thompson and Myrtle as she cares for him. We pray for those in our congregation on holiday that they will be refreshed by you and that they and we who are not on holiday will stand equally ready this incoming week to witness to those we come in contact with who may need help, encouragement, or simply a smile, friendship, and a listening ear. Help us not just to nod our heads at this this morning, but actively look out for your nudging in the situations we will undoubtedly find ourselves in. We think of those who were reached out to during Holy Week and those reached out to throughout the year in the international student work. And we pray especially for Greystone CSSM starting this afternoon that all participants will be kept safe and many children reached for you at this strategic time in their lives. We pray for ongoing calm in the north during the marching season, cool heads and engaged minds for the restoration of devolved government, for wisdom and perseverance of the Irish and British governments, especially in the light of Brexit developments and a new UK Prime Minister. We pray for the ongoing housing crisis at home, for those even present this morning concerned about their employment, their visa status, their plans for the future, or their family members. In the silence, we talk to you about the grave concerns of our heart for those grieving and for those seeking peace of mind. And we ask all these things for your glory, for the honour of your name, and because of your great compassion. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, let's stand to sing our final hymn as Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. So let's stand to sing. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. If you're visiting with us, uh, please sign our visitor's book. Uh, tea and coffee is served upstairs on the second floor. You can take the stairs or the lift. Um, and uh, may God bless you in the week that lies ahead.